Here we are at the 12th episode of Your New Mexico Government for 2022. I'm Kaveh Movahead. The 30-day legislative session ended today. That's it. It's over. For now. The governor has the ability to call legislators back to the Capitol to tackle particular topics in special sessions. If we hear anything about that, you'll get the message on KUNM Radio and from our media partner, New Mexico PBS. On this YNMG, though, we're dedicating the entire episode to one piece of legislation that is now on Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham's desk waiting for her signature. House Bill 52 is an amendment to the Harm Reduction Act. Overdoses from fentanyl are the top killer of young adults in New Mexico, but HB 52 will give drug users a new tool that will make them a little bit safer, fentanyl test strips. Today, we're not talking to a journalist. Instead, we have Arian Showers, the policy director for New Mexico's Department of Health and a champion of harm reduction strategies for combating addiction. For several years, DOH has been trying to get changes through the legislature to decriminalize possession of fentanyl test strips. They had been considered drug paraphernalia, and so were legally off-limits to drug users and public health practitioners. That means that even users of other substances, which are now commonly cut with fentanyl, had no way of knowing whether their drugs were more dangerous and more addictive than they bargained for. With no quality control on the illicit market, recreational drug users as well as those with the challenges of addiction wind up hooked and sometimes dead because of fentanyl. The Department of Health and a long list of supporters say HB 52 will save lives. Here's Arian Showers from DOH. I've been in this position for close to three years. Love the job. But, you know, the last few years got really diverted with the COVID pandemic. So it's nice to work on other really important policy initiatives that I think are pretty critical right now, like the issue with fentanyl right now in New Mexico. I reached out to you today to talk about House Bill 52 that just went to the governor's desk after being one of the first bills to make it through the legislature. It will amend the existing Harm Reduction Act. Just to make sure listeners know what we're talking about, can you help us understand what harm reduction is? Harm reduction is really a client-focused way of managing addiction in certain populations that we've had. We've had a program since 1998, a continuous program operation, and that was really after we passed a law in 1997, the Harm Reduction Act. And so during that period of time, we were really focused on the epidemic that was ongoing with heroin use and a lot of disease that was being spread through sharing of needles. So the focus of the program for a long time was engaging certain really high-risk populations, making sure that they had access to supplies that would reduce harm while they were using. I think that with harm reduction, you have to sort of acknowledge and really meet people where they're at. So there's a real sort of critical acknowledgement that goes into harm reduction, and that is really respect for each person and where they're at with their particular addiction. So what we're trying to do is really engage people, make sure that they have clean, sterile supplies, In that way, we're reducing the spread of certain diseases. We're keeping people safe from that kind of issue that might come up. And then we also are trying to educate them around overdose prevention. We distribute a lot of naloxone for that purpose. We educate and train people on how to use it. 
But all the while, you know, what harm reduction programs are really trying to do is get people into recovery. And we have a great track record for doing just that. People that we engage with, program participants are five times more likely to get into recovery and three times more likely to be successful with that recovery effort. So that push toward uh, recovery or a recovery program then is going beyond just accepting that the reality is people will use drugs and we're going to just try to make them as safe as possible. You're actually trying to solve the problem of drug use and addiction. Right. I mean, I think that we all have that as an ideal in mind. We want people to get on the other side of their addiction. We, we would like to see people, you know, really get their lives back, become productive members of society. I think that what we also need to be realistic about is that everyone's not ready to do that at precisely the same moment. So how do you keep them safe and keep them alive while they're using? And so we're trying to sort of do all those things at once. And, you know, people really come around to recovery on their own time. So we have to acknowledge that. Let's pivot over to the legislation. We had a Harm Reduction Act already in place, and HB 52 made some modifications. What's been changed? The original law, the Harm Reduction Act, is really sort of in sore need of an update. It's almost 25 years old, and we've gone through several really distinct iterations with the opioid sort of ongoing epidemic that we've seen throughout the country. So it really did start back in 1997, and we were seeing black tar heroin. We kind of got to, you know, over-prescription of pharmaceuticals, and now we're really very much in a fentanyl or, you know, really powerful synthetic opioid phase of the problem. So we are trying to amend the Harm Reduction Act to allow the department to distribute different types of supplies. These supplies would have to reduce overdose or reduce the spread of these diseases, like hep C in particular is the one that we focus a lot of our efforts on. That's really critical because, you know, back in 1997, syringes and needles were really the only supply that we were considering distributing. Now with fentanyl, we're seeing less syringe use and more smoking devices that are being used. So there's something called safe smoking kits, and that really just includes like screens, hygienic, like little mouthpieces, things like that to prevent the spread of disease. We are considering lots of different supplies that we could put through that rulemaking process. They would have to, again, do one of those two things, reduce spread of disease or reduce overdose. We'll be reaching out to our harm reduction providers and just getting, you know, as much feedback as we can on what the actual community needs look like today versus in 1997. Now, it also does something with the Controlled Substances Act. When we figured out that fentanyl test strips would be a real critical tool to our overdose prevention strategy, all of the states pretty quickly figured out that they were actually illegal. Most states have a criminal statute that prohibits testing in its definition of paraphernalia. And we had the same situation here in New Mexico. So we have to also amend the Controlled Substances Act definition of paraphernalia to exempt these drug testing devices from that definition to make them legal. So right now they're just, they're actually illegal to possess. And so that's another feature of the bill. 
As the point person on policy, I bet you can take us through the process of getting these changes into place. I know the Department of Health has been working on getting legislation passed for several years. Why did it take so long? I think that several things contributed to that. It took a while for the fentanyl issue to really reach the fever pitch that it has reached recently. We started at the end of 2018 really seeing this exponential rate of overdose that was really being driven by fentanyl and fentanyl analogs. With this kind of thing, we're receiving all of this information from communities, from harm reduction providers. We're hearing that the department's hands are tied with our inability to really decisively intervene in what is a public health crisis with overdose related to these substances right now. But yes, we do have to go through a legislative process. We tried in the 2021 regular session, we proposed Senate Bill 255, which was very similar to the bill that we just ended up getting past the legislature a few days ago. However, you know, we were in the midst of a global pandemic. It was the first time we had a completely virtual session at the Roundhouse. I think that that uh, threw things off. It was really difficult to get the bill scheduled along with many other bills. It just sort of fell into some kind of crack somewhere. So we did not succeed in getting it past that session, but I was really, really focused on making this the number one agency priority this short session. The governor's office is totally behind it. I think that the rates of fentanyl-related overdose at this point, it's so alarming to so many people and so many legislators are seeing the effects of this in their communities. It's not someone else's problem anymore. It's actually affecting almost everyone you know has probably lost you know, a loved one. They're probably going through this battle within their own home. I think the timing was right this session and people were really ready to find a solution to the problem. You were in the room for a lot of the legislative committee hearings on HB 52. What was that like? Was there much testimony from community members? It was really truly heartening and moving to be a part of this process, this session. We were really scheduled in health-related committees and then judiciary committees and on both the House and the Senate side. And we had such a groundswell of support that came from so many different directions. You know, support from law enforcement, support from corrections, support from judges, from DAs support from harm reduction providers, from different public health related organizations, the Drug Policy Alliance. At one point in our House Judiciary Committee hearing, we had two teenagers who were actually uh, currently in recovery in a place called Serenity Mesa that's in Albuquerque. And they really treat teenagers with these kinds of substance use problems. and. Two teenagers that testified to getting hooked on fentanyl unknowingly because it had adulterated something that they were using, and they really testified to the struggle that they went through during that committee hearing. So it's been a really emotional session. It's been really inspirational to see how many people have come forward and felt compelled to tell their stories. So I feel so privileged to be a part of this. 
I'm just so proud of all of the people who got involved with the session and decided to talk about their personal struggles. Why would drug producers adulterate other drugs with fentanyl? What's the point? It seems like you might be inadvertently killing off your customers. When you look at this, you know, perhaps as a business model, I think that someone might see an interest in getting maybe their customers hooked on something that they need more often that's highly, highly addictive. Fentanyl and and these really powerful, powerful synthetic opioids. They're a hundred times as powerful as morphine. They're way more addictive. And so what you're seeing right now and what we're hearing about from almost everyone in the state that does this kind of work is that fentanyl and fentanyl analogs are kind of finding their way into everything. People are getting hooked on fentanyl when they're trying to maybe use something different. And what happens is they end up having this pretty serious addiction to a substance that they need quite often. And the high is really so powerful that the lows are also very powerful. So you see people basically kind of oscillating between fentanyl use and meth use. There's actually a drug that's a pressed pill. I think it's referred to as a blue. And that's really just meth and fentanyl combined and pressed into a pill. So, I mean, I think that that might be the reason why. I think it's just maybe a good business model at this point for people who want to have returning clients who are coming several times a day rather than once a week. Uh, It's hard to say. And a lot of people have learned to adjust to fentanyl being in everything. So... The fentanyl test strips, you know, some people are going to use them. They're going to detect fentanyl in something, and they're going to completely avoid it and say, I don't want to touch this. But there are a lot of people who are actually just used to fentanyl being in a lot of things. So what they'll do is they'll say, there's fentanyl present in this substance. I'm going to take less of it. I'm going to take it maybe more slowly. I'm going to take it with naloxone with me. I'm going to take it with a friend. There are a lot of ways that people are sort of adapting to fentanyl being in the drug supply. They're employing harm reduction strategies to mitigate their risk. It seems pretty clear that the availability of this new testing equipment, I'll call it, has the potential to save a lot of lives. Yet, in the final floor hearing a few days ago, three senators, I believe, voted against HB 52. Do you know what their objections were? I've heard the objection that perhaps fentanyl test strips are not very useful because people don't want to take the time to sample their own product to find out whether fentanyl exists. I've heard that people don't mind fentanyl being in their drug supply, so they're not going to use them. I think that what we can say is that based on evidence and based on uh, what we're seeing across the country, people do in fact want the information. They want to know what they are ingesting. And I think it's important that, especially given the fact that the future of harm reduction and drug use in general, they're really going to revolve around these really powerful, cheap, synthetic opioids that are adulterating everything. When you think of it that way, and that's a very, very big shift from the past, right? When this was really a focused effort on 
black tar heroin, we knew what that was. We knew what it wasn't. We knew what it was. When it turned into a pharmaceutical over-prescription kind of situation, we also we knew what these drugs were. So now we're really in a different landscape because we're dealing with something that's very similar in the, in the sense that it's an opioid, but it's a hundred times more powerful. And the problem is that people don't know if it's in their drug supply. Right now, we need to focus on drug testing devices. Right now and into the future, it's going to be the fight. The fight is going to be um, around making sure people have access to critical information that they need to have in order to keep themselves safe. And whether they decide to proceed and, and use that substance, that's going to be their choice. But they're going to have that information and they'll be able to mitigate the risk in some respect. Okay, since we briefly talked about objections to the bill, I just want to go ahead and point out that the Legislative Finance Committee identified no particular financial impact from the passage of HB 52. I wonder if you or DOH have an idea of what this is going to end up costing. What we have figured out is that, well, first of all, fentanyl test strips are pretty cheap. They're under a dollar a piece. And the federal government has actually, first of all, signaled that they're very much in support of harm reduction programming across the country. And they have made available just recently several grants that we are definitely going to take advantage of in New Mexico. We'll have access to federal funding for this purpose. That's why you didn't see a fiscal impact in the, the FIR that LFC uh, produced. The other thing is that NMDOH also requested a base increase for this next FY23 fiscal year for harm reduction expansion. So that could potentially cover some of the cost of this as well. We, what we're trying to do is really expand our naloxone distribution and training and also include the fentanyl test strips. All right. I'm wondering about implementation and what that will look like. Is DOH going to distribute the fentanyl testing strips or are we potentially going to see them on the counter at 7-Eleven? Yes. I mean, I think that you might see them at the counter in 7-Eleven quite possibly. For the time being, what we're trying to do is really reach out to our harm reduction provider network. We have a bunch of public health offices as well in the state, so they will be able to distribute fentanyl test strips. We'll definitely have them available to our harm reduction provider network. We have, I think, 13, and they really do cover the entire geographic area of the state. So they'll be involved with distribution as well. We're really interested in partnering with EMS, with law enforcement. We're actually working with corrections right now to provide overdose prevention kits to people who are exiting the criminal justice system. One of the most vulnerable populations, in fact, are people who are exiting criminal justice because they may have had substance use problems, they enter into corrections, and when they get out, they sometimes don't have the same tolerance, so they're very highly vulnerable to an overdose. So the idea is that they're going to be readily available and distributed widely in the state. There are a lot of people who are not really regular drug users. 
Young people are what come to mind when I think about it. If you recall, we've had a few overdoses, not just a few, but there was one case coming out of Santa Fe where we had a few high school kids who had overdosed on fentanyl. That's not an uncommon story. So, you know, you have young people who are really less risk averse and they have naive systems and, you know, they take chances. I think that everyone at that age is probably a little bit more spontaneous and more likely to engage in risky behavior. We want to make sure those kids can test something that they are potentially considering. Is there more infrastructure that needs to be built out? How soon is this going to materialize? We're basically in the process of just preparing for implementation. We just want to be thoughtful and we want to be totally inclusive and make sure that we're listening to those who really know the communities best. And those are going to be the harm reduction providers who are doing really direct services with folks in New Mexico. If we do decide to add supplies, that'll be a rulemaking process. And those are typically a little bit time consuming, you know, at least a few months on that. When it comes to the fentanyl test strips, we could have federal funding flowing to New Mexico for this purpose around May. Okay, but the real date we're kind of looking out for is the date that the bill officially becomes law, and that's likely several months away at this point. Right. We were considering putting an emergency clause into this bill, but we didn't. We thought that it it might be so controversial that it was a risk that we weren't really willing to take. But I think we're in good shape. We're going to have the typical few months of waiting for the bill to become law. And as soon as it becomes law, we'll definitely make sure people are aware. Okay. One last question did come to mind. I should have asked you this earlier. How do you use a fentanyl test strip? They're just small little strips. I think most of the time what people do is they'll take a little bit of the residue of what they are testing. They'll add some water to it and they just dip the strip in there and it will tell you pretty clearly if uh, fentanyl is present. Like it changes color? Yes, it, it, it changes color if fentanyl is present. It's pretty simple. Arian Showers, Policy Director for the New Mexico Department of Health, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. This was great. I hope to talk again soon. That was Arian Showers from the State Department of Health. We have links online to the DOH press release on HB 52 and to the text of the bill and other news reports so you can read it all for yourself. Find your New Mexico government under the News tab on KUNM.org and on NewMexicoPBS.org. KUNM will continue to follow fentanyl and addiction, and we'll have an hour to discuss it in March on our listener call-in show, Let's Talk New Mexico. Stay tuned to KUNM over the air and online for scheduling. Even though the legislature has adjourned, you haven't heard the last of your New Mexico government. YNMG is working on something special for you soon. Follow us on Twitter at hashtag YNMG for updates. And you can still subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss future episodes. It's on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. YNMG is a collaboration between KUNM and New Mexico PBS with the goal of supporting an open and accessible government for all New Mexicans. Funding comes from the Thornburg Foundation. I'm Kaveh Movahead. This is your New Mexico government. Bye for now.